Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Good morning, Calvary. You know what today is, right? Today's the biggest day in sports and entertainment in the United States. At least that's what they tell us, right? And uh, I thought, you know, since, since today's the big day, I know we're not Boston or Philadelphia, but I thought maybe I'd ask, you know, a couple of questions to see. I'm sure there's fans out there somewhere. So no, no boos or hisses or anything. Let's just stay positive and friends here. Do we have any Patriots fans here today? Okay. Well, no cuss words either. Okay. So, um, all right. Do we have any Eagles fans? Okay. We got some Eagles fans. Do we have some folks who just don't care and wish Downton Abbey was still on? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. All right. Okay, anybody you're just watching for the commercials? Anybody? Okay, anybody you're just watching for This Is Us? Anybody? Okay, yeah, so you got all kinds of people who care about today. Here's an interesting thing. They did, a, they did a survey, Religion News Services did a survey within the last few years. Here's what they found. I think this is interesting. That one quarter of Americans believe that God cares who wins the Super Bowl. All right, they did the stats. This is fascinating, but follow this all through. They found out that 27% of Americans said that they believed God was involved in sports outcomes. That when people prayed, God intervened with sports teams. It gets worse. You ready for this? Of course, there's a flip side that says that 20% of sports fans believe that their teams have been cursed at some point. Anybody ever, ever felt that? Yeah, you felt a curse one way or the other. Not everyone believes that. 73% of Americans believe that God doesn't intervene in the final score. It's kind of some interesting stats, but raises the question then, what does God do? Like when you pray, because I'm not going to lie, I've prayed during football games, right? And he heard me sometimes. When you pray, right, what does God do? Like, does he hear you? Does he not hear you? Does he respond? Does he not respond? Take your Bibles with me, if you would, please, and turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 today. We're going to take a look, Luke, before we launch into kind of this next big adventure that we're going to go into in the book of Acts here in a couple of weeks. He's going to tell us two stories, one this week, one next week, that take us back to Jerusalem, back to the place where we started um, in the book of Acts. And uh, I want to jump in. Acts chapter 12, we're going to talk about prayer today. Here's verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. A couple of things good to know there. Herod, you'll see that name all throughout the New Testament. It's not just one guy. Herod was more like a last name. It was more like a title. So in the Christmas story, do you remember the guy named Herod in the Christmas story? He was Herod the Great. Like that's who he was known as. And then he had a son named Herod Antipas. And, and that one was the one that was the king and was Herod when Jesus was crucified. Do you remember him? Because then this guy is a guy named Herod Agrippa. He is the grandson and the nephew. He's, a, he's the grandson of the one at Christmas. He's the nephew of the one at the crucifixion. This is Herod Agrippa. And next week, we're going to talk all about him. So we'll go back to where he came from next week. Just want to kind of give you a snapshot. He, he basically is what they call a puppet king. He rules over Israel, but he does it for the Roman Empire. He does what they say. So that's just kind of who he is. Verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Anybody maybe grow up when you were a little kid going to Sunday school and sing the song Peter and James and John in the sailboat? Anybody? 
Like, raise your hand if you were Peter and James and John. And so, okay. All right, praise God. Okay. Um, well, you're not going to learn it today. But this is James that was in the sailboat. He was, a, he was a follower of Jesus. He was one of the early disciples. And it says that when they found out that he was a disciple, they eventually, Herod had him arrested. And then it says that he put him to death with the sword. That means that he was beheaded. That was kind of the easy way that Romans would do execution. What's interesting is because he was in Jerusalem and because he was Jewish, he should have been stoned, right? That was, that was the custom. That's what should have been done. But instead, he was executed like a Roman, which means that the Jewish people were saying, he's no Jew, he's a heretic, he's following this false religion, he doesn't deserve to be stoned, he should die like a pagan. So this is a big deal here. You can see there's not only persecution, but now they're, they're calling names. Pressure is building on the church. Verse 3, when Herod saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. A couple of things that's good to know here. It says that when he saw that he got approval with the Jews, if you remember, Herod's from a long line of leaders, right? You got Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, now he's Herod Agrippa, and he knows that in Jerusalem, people hate his family. They haven't liked his family. And so when somebody doesn't like you, you sometimes try to make friends of them. For Herod, the easiest way to rule was to find out who the majority was and once you found out who the majority was, just try to keep them happy. So Herod would do his best to keep the Jewish leaders happy. He would do things that would please them, that would make them kind of satisfied. And so when he saw how happy they were that he killed James, he decided, you know, it might be great if I did something else too. He says, boy, if you, if you like what I did to James, you're going to love what I do to Peter. And so at the Festival of Unleavened Bread, which we also refer to as Passover sometimes, now, the Passover meal was what Jesus and his disciples celebrated at the Last Supper. Do you remember that? Yes? Okay, cool. So that's the Passover. Then seven days after that meal is what's called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. So at some point during those seven days, we don't know exactly where, but at some point during those seven days, Herod has Peter arrested, thrown in jail, does not have the trial right away because this Passover season is supposed to be holy. And you don't want to do executions during a holy time. So they keep him in jail. He's also going to wait till people leave the city from the celebration so there's less chance of drama, less crowds. That makes sense, right? So Herod says, look, when this festival's over, we're going to put him on trial. What he means by put him on trial is we're going to take him out in front of people, tell them he's guilty, and execute him. That's what Peter has to look forward to. Verse 4, after arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by, this is actually really important, four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. That's what we just talked about. So when it's all over, it's going to execute him. Two things that are probably just good for you to know as you put this story together. There's the temple in Jerusalem. Right next to it was a place called the Antonia Fortress. And that's, that's probably where Peter was, in that prison, in that fortress that was there. Right next to the temple, kind of right in the heart of things. And it tells us there that he was, he was bound with like Roman authority. So there were four squads of four soldiers each. There were, there were what they called four watches of the night. So a different squad would come in at each watch of the night so that they would stay fresh in guarding him. And we'll talk about that in a minute, how important this is. But there's four men at a time 
four on one that are guarding him because Herod cannot risk embarrassment here. He wants to please the Jewish leaders. You'll find out how, how important his ego is when we get to this next week. He wants to please them, so he cannot risk Peter escaping like he did back in Acts chapter 5. This story is really important, and here's what struck me. Peter's in a bad situation. Things do not look good. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. And I've heard this story, like I, I can remember hearing this story as a little kid. What I never got until reading it this time was how surprising this story is. As you read through it and you think about the characters, Herod and the soldiers and Peter, and we'll be introduced to the church members here in just a few minutes, every one of them, none of them dreamed that what happens in this story is what is actually going to happen because God likes sometimes to surprise us. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes like God, I think he just, he hides behind eternity going, wait, and just jump out and go, surprise. I got something I want you to see here. What led to that surprise? Verse five, look at this, Acts chapter 12, verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Every time I read that verses I was studying, I thought, good job, church. That's awesome, church that you're earnestly praying to God on his behalf. Nice job. And some of you maybe heard that and, and you thought, man, I'd love it if the church would earnestly pray for me. Like you heard it in the video announcements, every Sunday in our Connection Center, if you would like for somebody to pray with you, we have a team of people that are there. They will pray with you. They'll, they'll, they'll believe for you. They will anoint you with oil and pray for healing. Like, like if you are here and you say, man, I would just love for somebody to pray for me, stop by our Connection Center. We've got, we've got friends that are there. I know them. They're nice people, okay? And you can stop by and they'll pray for them. But here's, here's the promise I want to make for you today. If you're here today and you say, boy, I sure wish somebody would pray for me, before this day's over, the church is going to pray earnestly for you. And as we talk about this, I want to show you something. We're going to go through the rest of this story. There's four surprises I want you to see. Let's just call them four surprises of prayer. Things that as we go through this story kind of caught me off guard. I know it caught the people in this story off guard. And things that I want you to note. Here's the first one. Jump back into the story. We'll, we'll look at the first surprise here. Acts chapter 12, um, verse 5 says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Now, we'll get back to the nitty-gritty in just a minute. But here's what just kind of amazed me in this story. Peter is less than 24 hours away from his execution. He knows that when Passover is over, it's over for him. And there he is in this prison cell. He's in this frightening situation. Most likely it's his last night on earth. And what is Peter doing? He's taking a guided tour of dreamland. Did you see that? He's sleeping. You're like, Peter, how can you sleep at a time like this? You know why Peter was able to sleep? Because he'd probably been praying, don't you think? And the church was praying for him. And I know their prayers made a difference. Watch this. When you pray, here's something that might surprise you. Number one, the peace that is beyond understanding will come your way and surprise you when you pray. Look, this is a promise from the Apostle Paul. 
And we know this not just because he wrote it, but because he lived it. You'll see this as we keep working our way through the book of Acts. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. How come, Paul? What will happen? Verse 7, in the peace of God, which transcends. Some Bible versions would say it, it passes. Other versions would say it goes beyond all our understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, look, when you pray, God sends his peace. And Paul, here's, here's a little biblical history. When he wrote Philippians, does anybody know where he was? He was in, he was in prison. He was in jail when this happened. He knew this to be true. I'm sure I've, I've mentioned this before, but I remember being in high school. I was, I was home all by myself one night. I remember I was sitting on the couch in the living room. It was dark outside. I was doing homework. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I don't know why, I had like unreasonable fear come into my mind and in my heart. My God, this wasn't the first time I'd ever been home alone. I was a, I was a big, strapping, handsome teenage man. And I was scared to death to be at home by myself. It's a really weird thing. And I remember in that moment, this verse came to mind. This is why knowing God's word is so powerful. And I began to just believe and pray this verse. Like I knew this verse, but I'd never have to lean on it before. And I had to lean on that verse and I prayed, God, would you bring your peace to me? And I, I remember in that moment, in a tangible sense, I felt fear go and peace come. Now, why do I tell you that? Because that was the first time but over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in my life, there have been times when fear has come, when anxiety has come, when worry has come. And I've had to go back to this verse that says, when you pray, God will send his peace that goes beyond all your understanding. Anybody else ever had that happen? I have to go back to this moment because there's, there's a truth there. And, and some of you, you, you might have a hard time buying this, but just know this, believe this. God's peace is greater than my understanding. When you put your confidence in his peace, when you put your confidence in him, it goes beyond what you can understand. He sends this, this supernatural peace. Psalm 3, verse 5, I want you to see that there's physical ramifications to this. Psalm 3, verse 5, the psalmist writes, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Do you see what the psalmist says? Even in the midst of my crisis, guess what I do? I take a nap. I snooze. I rest. Why? Because even in the midst of my troubles, God is able to bring me his peace and his rest. Now, look, I, I know there's seasons we go through. Maybe some of you, and I, I don't want this to be like guilt-inducing. Maybe some of you go through a season where it's hard for you to sleep. Um, maybe there's a medical condition. Maybe you have a baby, right? I mean, there's reasons, right, where there's times where, where you have struggles sleeping. But just understand this. God says over and over again in Scripture that he gives sleep to those that he loves. There's a promise that's there that physical rest accompanies spiritual peace. And so if you need physical rest, realize that there's times when God brings that through his spiritual peace in your life. Because, look, we face pressure situations. There's times when we have to make decisions. There's times when it's difficult. When you face pressure and it affects your family or your school or your time or you have stress or it's on your job, the beauty of this is when you pray, 
You put your confidence in God, and when you put your confidence in him, confidence in something helps you to know that you're making the right decision. Decisions can be hard to make at time. You know, there's, there's time to time when I have to make a decision in my role that I know affects more than just me. It affects a lot of people, and that weighs on you. And I've often thought it must be tough to be a school superintendent in the winter in Ohio. Anybody ever thought of that? <laughs> on a snow day, you got to make a decision. You cancel school, you make some people mad. You have school, you make some people mad. There's no way to win sometimes. I saw about a superintendent in St. Louis area who um, had a snow day a couple weeks ago and, and he had to decide school or no school. There's snow outside, what do I do? He said at 4 a.m. he opened his front door to look outside and see what the weather was like and when he did, he looked down and there was a package on his doorstep. And he looked down and he picked it up and it was some of his favorite candy bars. There were Reese's, all these Reese's that are there. Here's a picture of what he got. The Reese's and a note at the top that says, you know what to do. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? There's a vague, vague threat in that, isn't there? That's a lot of pressure. You've been paid off. You've been threatened. You know what to do. Guess what he did? Sent out a tweet. We're having school today. Because he knew the right decision to make. And when you know the right decision to make, you know the place where you put your confidence, then you rest in that. Now, that's funny, but your decisions aren't. And those times when you have to to find peace, find rest, maybe for some of you, you're looking for peace somewhere in your life, and the reason you're not finding it, this isn't being critical, the reason you're not finding it is because you're looking in the wrong place. Peace starts when you look to God, when you look to Jesus Christ, when you put your hope in him. Look at what the the author of Proverbs says. He says, when you walk, God's word will guide you. When you sleep, his promises will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp and this teaching is a light and correction and instruction are the way to life. Just know this, rest is found in confidence. And when you put your confidence in God, you can rest In him, and there's Peter in prison, night before he's to be executed, fast asleep. I mean, fast asleep. Watch this, Acts chapter 12, verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, Then he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. How many of you need struck when you've got to wake up in the morning? Man, Peter was fast asleep. Quick, get up, the angel said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them by itself, and they went through it, and when he had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. You got to picture this. Peter's in prison. Remember, there's four guards at all times, right? There's two of them at the doors. There's like one and then another one. The other two are literally chained to Peter. Okay, this wrist to one guard, this wrist to another guard. He's chained to two guys. Do you think they want to make sure Peter doesn't get out of there? This is how they do it. Serious cases, Roman squads, this is what they do. Chained to two guys, two more guys. And there's Peter, and all of a sudden, the angel shows up, the chains fall off, 
Peter gets out of there, and it, it shows you here, he doesn't even know what's going on until he hits the cold night air in the face outside the prison. Why? And I want you to see this. When you pray, there will be times, number two, that you will experience the supernatural work of God. There will be times in your life where God will do miracles. There will be times in your life where God will surprise you by what he does, things that don't make sense, things that don't seem possible, and God will show up, and he will move in your life. Now, I don't know what you're facing. It might be a major challenge. You might be in a difficult season. You might have a fearful threat in front of you. It might be a small issue, just some kind of new concern. But I want you to know God can do the supernatural in your life. Go back and look what he does in this story. For one thing, God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. He shows up there at the last possible minute, doesn't he? We know that Peter could have been in prison for up to seven days, depending on when he got arrested during this feast. Peter sat there for multiple days, and God shows up at the last moment because God's timing is perfect. It's not usually my timing. Can I get an amen? If I'm Peter, I'd have been good to get out the first night. That's fine, God. Why does God wait? Because God knows what he's doing. And God does this in our lives. He, he works in this way. Not only is God's timing perfect, but know this. God can drop the chains. He did it in Peter's life. God can drop the chains. Now, I know it's physical and it's figurative here, and you got to think about these chains. These were heavy, heavy iron chains. They were designed with two thoughts in mind, not just keeping him in one place. They were supposed to wear him out. You know, they're swapping out the guards, but Peter's always wearing these things, and they are heavy, and they are bulky, and he can't move around, and it's going to make you weary just to try to do anything if you're wearing these chains. And not only that, but they would put them on tight on your wrists so that it was on your skin so that when you moved, it would irritate. Does that, does that register with you? Like, this wasn't just keeping him there, this was considered a form of torture. And there Peter is with those chains. This is what's holding him back. And in an instant, those chains drop. You know what's funny about this? Peter's not wearing the chains anymore, but who is? I think that's funny. God knows what he's doing. Now look, I, I don't know what's holding you back. I just know this, because I've seen it in my life and I've watched it in other people's lives, God can bring miraculous deliverance and freedom, freedom from drugs and alcohol, deliverance from pornography, healing from the past, restoration to relationships, and whatever it is that holds you back, emotional, spiritual, physical, this verse tells us that God can set you free, amen? And God, God can give direction. I love this story because Peter's kind of in a daze, and the angel says, Peter, get your clothes on. Peter, put your coat on. Anybody ever said that, mom, dad? Right? Peter, put your coat on. Peter, come with me. Every step of the way, God's given him direction. I don't know about you, but I need direction every step of the way. And then God can open doors. As they're walking out, the big iron gate just opens in front of them. It just kind of just flies open. The Greek word there is a word that's automate, which is where we would get our word auto. <laughs> Automatic, right? So the automatic doors. I mean, before they ever had sensors, Peter's just walking out. It's just opening up. Because God does this. There are times in your life where something seems like it's a barrier, where something seems like it's going to hold you back, where something seems like it's going to stop you. And when you trust God and you keep walking, automate, he just opens that thing up in front of you. Why is that? Because God can do miracles. God can do the supernatural. 
He can work in your life. And if you'll trust him, if you'll pray, it'll surprise you. Yeah, Chad, but I've never seen him do it. How do I know? How do I know he'll do it? Well, man, maybe you just need to give him a chance. Well, what's it take? How, how, do you, how do you get a miracle? Sometimes people try to hype you up and tell you all the secrets. Truth is, what they do in this story? They prayed. So God, we trust you. God, we give you this situation. And we believe that you can. And look, I'm always, I'm always pretty careful, right? Because I, when, I, when I preach, something I don't want to do, I don't, I don't want to overpromise you things. And I never want to misrepresent God. Because I've been in services where the pastor gets up and says, if you just read your Bible, you're going to have a happier life and a nicer car and more friends and whiter teeth. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? They, they sell you this promise. And so as I'm thinking about this, I say to myself, gosh, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver here. If I tell you that God's going to do a miracle, how do I know that he will? Like, how, how do I know that he'll follow through? Now, the what if he doesn't, we'll get to in a minute. But when I kind of had this little bit of a check, and, and I was just kind of like, I don't know if I should push the miraculous. What if he doesn't? I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, yeah, Chad, but what if I do? What if I want to work something in somebody's life? What if they need to know that the God who did this for Peter can come alongside of them and surprise them by freedom and open doors and divine provision and miraculous healing? Because God still does that today, Right? I mean, we believe this. And so I didn't want to be in a place where I said no when God wants to say yes. See, for some of you, I firmly believe that whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is that's holding you back, God wants to say yes to you today because he can. Because here's what Luke said. Remember, Luke wrote Acts. Very first book he wrote, very first chapter, he says this, Luke chapter 1, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. God still does the supernatural. You know that, right? So know this, that when you pray, there will be times where you'll be surprised by God's peace that goes beyond our understanding, and you'll be surprised by the supernatural that he brings. But watch what happens next, verse, verse 11, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Then Peter came to himself and said, he's standing out in the middle of the street, and all of a sudden he goes, this is not a dream. I'm out of prison. Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. I love that word, rescue. God set him free. God was there. God showed him favor. God helped him. God set him free. Except that, do you remember verse 2? Acts chapter 12, verse 2. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Peter's rescued. James is martyred. Peter gets out of jail. James loses his head. What's that tell you? Jesus liked Peter better, right? <laughs> is that what it tells us? No, to be honest, that's what you think. God does something for them, but he doesn't do it for you. And what do you say? God must like him better. Look, follow that line of reasoning out. God took James to heaven first. Apparently, he wanted to spend more time with James than Peter, right? Is that what that means? 
Like you can't take that reasoning too far. You have to ask the question, what does it mean? And here's why prayer is so powerful. And here can I tell you, this is one of the things that when you pray, it will surprise you. Number three, you'll be surprised by the plan of a sovereign God. Let me unpack this for you for just a minute. In, in the book of Hebrews, there's this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, that is like the hall of fame of the Bible. It runs through all these people who did miraculous things by faith. And when you get to the end of the chapter, they stop listing people one by one, and the author of Hebrews gives these large group statements. And he says this, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. He, he's talking about these heroes, and he's, he talks about them who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Can I get an amen? Yeah, they did. And then two verses later, the author of Hebrews says, and then there's others. Verse 36, some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. I love that line. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. And I read that and go, what? So some escaped the sword. Some were killed by the sword. Some got this. And some got that. And we're celebrating all of them? God, how does that make sense? How, how does my little brain figure that out? Let me give you a statement, and then let's, let's talk about it for a moment. The God who loves perfectly, knows omnisciently, and acts wisely must be trusted to rule sovereignly. Think about that for a moment. There is a God who loves perfectly. Do you, do you buy that? Do you believe that? He loves you with a perfect love, so much that he sent his only son. Like, he loves you. You might not always feel like it, but he loves you. And it says that he knows omnisciently. That, that word omniscience means that he knows everything. There is nothing he does not know. When the doctors don't know what's going on, God knows. When you wonder who's gonna win the Super Bowl, God already knows, right? He knows everything. So he loves you perfectly. He knows everything, and we know that he will act wisely or, or justly or fairly. Look, you don't have to question. God is going to do the right thing. So if you buy this, if you believe this, that there is a loving God who knows everything and is gonna do the right thing, then he must be trusted to rule sovereignly. That means that, that there is a God who, there's a plan of a sovereign God. It means he's in charge of everything. That means he makes all the, the rules. And that in the midst of this, we, we need to trust him as we go through our lives. One of the, one of the things that God has, I, I really do believe, favored me to have the opportunity to do is, is to be through a couple of um, seasons here at Calvary where we did some really cool renovations. We did it at, at Glendale, and we've had the opportunity in this building a few times, and we're in the midst of one right now, right? So we're, we're doing our renovations down on the other end, should be done ho here over the course of the next couple of months as it kind of figures out. And, there's these times during this where you've got to sit down with your architect or with your contractor and you look at the blueprints. And we have been very fortunate kind of in all the, the projects that we've done to have a really good contractor. And we have a project manager who's just awesome. 
He's very patient and very helpful and works through these things with us and kind of walks us through side by side as we're figuring this out. His name's Scott. He's great, but I don't always like him. Because <laughs> there's times when Scott rolls up and says, guys, I got I to gotta show you something. Because you know when you do renovations, there's usually times where you come up against surprises. Because you don't know what you're going to get. You've done this at home maybe, just little projects where you're like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Well, that happens here a lot because you're trying to take something that is and you're trying to turn it into something else. And in the midst of that, you get surprises. So there's times when Scott will go, guys, I need to show you this. You, you see this right here? Well, we want to do this, but we're going to have to do this because of this or that. And I'll be like, well, Scott, I, I, this is what I want to do. I want to do this. And he says, that's great. Here's what you don't understand. When you do that, the building will fall apart. Do you get that? <laughs> do you see that? Yeah, but Scott, but that, that, that column that's right there, it's in the way. Can we take it out? And he's like, how important is your roof? Do you want your roof? Because that's not going to work, genius. And there's things that you want, and it'll be like, well, that's this much money, or that's, that's going to take this much time, or that's going to take this happening. And there's all kinds of times where Scott has to say, look, I know you want to do this. I know this is what you have in your heart, but here's why it doesn't work. Here's why you can't do that. And here's what I've come to learn on, on project number three with Scott, that he has our best interest in mind. And I don't, I don't question that anymore. And then he knows a whole lot more than I do. And then in those moments, there's times when I got to believe he's, he's doing the right thing. And even though I don't fully understand it, there's times when I've just got to go, okay, I think that's just the way it has to be. We, we trust you. Now, here's the deal. You won't see the blueprint of your life, I believe, finally until you get to heaven. That's when it's all going to make sense. But there's times now where you stand with God and you go, God, that does not make sense to me. God, I, I want this like that. And God says, that's cool, but don't you see Then your life would fall apart. But God, I don't want to do that. Or God, I don't want to. And he goes, look, there's a cost attached to that that you don't want to pay. Or there's a process in that that I don't, I don't think you need to go through. And God says, look, you've got to trust me. I know you won't always like it, but I am building something beautiful in your life. And you can't understand it right now. But God says, I see the blueprints. And he says, there are moments when what you need to do is just trust me. Look, there are times when you just have to trust a sovereign God. And that's why prayer is so important, because prayer places your trust in the hands of a sovereign God. It says, God, I trust you, even though I don't understand it. My tendency is to want to try to figure it out on my own. And then without prayer, my mind goes places where I should not let it go. Anybody else? And what I need to do is say, God, I don't get all of this, but I trust you. That's really easy, Chad, but what do you do? Because you want God to respond miraculously. But what if he doesn't? This might be overly simplistic. Sometimes I've just got to decide I will pray for his yes and I will trust him in his no. God, I want your yes. I believe you can do yes. But if that's not what's in the blueprints, then I'll trust you during no. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. Remember Peter standing out in the middle of the street when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Remember this guy, John Mark. He'll show up in two weeks. Where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. Isn't that funny? That's just funny. And exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. 
When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters, that James is not the one that's dead, by the way. This is a different guy. Right? This is a different guy named James. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. I don't know if you get it or not. That's just funny. Okay, that whole story right there, this house is a big house if you think about it. It has a gate, then a courtyard, then a bigger house when a lot of people can be. When they've done excavations in the city of Jerusalem, there's really only a couple places where a house like that might have been. It's what was, was called the upper city in Jerusalem, and it wasn't far from the temple. So it makes sense that when Peter walked out of the Antonia Fortress, he would have gone to someplace close by, and he knew the Christians were probably there because this is one of the places where they gathered. They didn't have a church. They would go to houses. So Peter goes there. There's a risk to this, though, okay? Because a house like this was typically where the aristocracy and the priestly class would be. So as Peter is standing outside this door, knocking on the door, he wants to make sure he doesn't wake up the neighbors who are the very people who want to see him dead. Do you understand the predicament? What does Peter want him to do? Open the door. One thing, open the door. Who is it? It's me, Peter. It's Peter, right? What's she do? She runs in the house. It's Peter, it's Peter. But she's all excited. They're like, you're out of your mind. And so finally they all come out and he's still knocking. Open the door, right? And he comes in because God has surprised them. Now, I don't know what they were praying for, but apparently they didn't expect to see him. Apparently they weren't believing too hard for the miraculous. Dear God, just give him a nice execution. I don't know what they were praying. <laughs> right? Maybe. You ever prayed those prayers? I have. But in the midst of this, God surprises them. You know how God will surprise you sometimes? Number four, he'll surprise you with the answer to your prayer. Sometimes you're praying. And God just shows up and says, look, I've got something I want you to see. He'll bring his peace. He'll do it miraculously. Sometimes you just have to trust that he's sovereign. But know this, God is answering your prayer. God is doing things you do not know. While they're there praying within the confines of time and space, Peter's being delivered by an angel. God is doing things that you do not know. People will come to me from time to time, especially when they're in a tough spot, and they'll go, I'm praying and God's not doing a thing. You don't know that. You don't know what God's doing. You don't know how God's trying to change the heart of your spouse. You don't know how God is working in the life of your child. You don't know how God is setting up a situation for you to have a job or an encounter or a blessing that you never could have imagined. While you are praying, God is doing things that you do not know. And he is lining something up in your life because God is answering in ways you might not have prayed for. Look, I don't know what Peter prayed for. He might have just prayed for peace. The church apparently wasn't praying super hard for deliverance. And God will do things that you might not have prayed for because he sees the blueprints and he knows what he's doing. But God will surprise you with the answer to your prayers. Let me encourage you and affirm you that God will surprise you with the answer to your prayers. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says this. This is the, watch this word, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. This is why Jesus says, help me out with this if you know it, ask and it will be, Seek and you will. Find. 
Knock and it will be because God hears you and he responds as you look to him and you trust him and as you pray according to his will. July of, 2000, of 2001, there's a guy that we'll refer to as, as Samuel in Afghanistan. Put those things together. What happened September 11th, 2001? Do you remember? Afghanistan. We've, we've got Samuel in Afghanistan. Somehow he sees a movie about the life of Jesus, and somebody introduces him to some Christian radio. And even though he's a devout Muslim, he does something unheard of, and he commits his life to Jesus Christ. God changes his life. Well, as the Taliban is cracking down, there are um, Western aid workers that have come alongside and are, and are helping and are teaching this guy Samuel. And in the midst of this happening, they start to push the Westerners out of Afghanistan and they find out that Samuel has, has professed faith in Christ and they throw him in prison. He's in prison for 14 days. And every day they take him out and they, they beat him with this five foot steel cable. On the 14th day, he goes back to his cell, and they beat him until he's unconscious. And eventually, he, he wakes up on the floor of this cell, and that night, while he's there, he has a dream. Let me read it to you. In the dream, a luminous man wearing bright white clothes appeared. The visitor, whom Samuel would later describe as having very beautiful feet and shoulder-length hair, spoke kindly to him. Then he said, get up. Have you heard that before? In the dream, the visitor led Samuel out of the cell. Going to the front gate, the ex-Muslim met another man who was wearing bright green. For Muslims, they believe that green is a color of God's blessing. This man then led Samuel out of the prison. And then Samuel woke up. You know where he found himself? Still in his cell. But the cell door was open. He walked out of that cell and straight out the open door of that prison that was completely unguarded and out into his freedom because what God did in the first century, he still does in the 21st century. Amen? He still does miraculous things. He'll surprise you when you trust him. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me if you would, please. And we're gonna sing a song that helps us to put our faith and trust in God. It says that, that God is where we put our faith, that all of his promises are yes and amen. And Pastor John's gonna lead us in this song. And if you're, if you're in a place today where you say, God, I needed this word today. I needed this reminder today. Then can I ask you to do this? Just reach out to him. Just say, God, I need your peace. God, I need you to supernaturally respond. God, I need to believe that you're answering my prayers. I put my trust in you and look to him. Make him your confidence today. Father, we look to you. Lord, we trust you. Lord, we believe that you are the one who works supernaturally and even surprisingly in our lives. We know that in your promises, they're yes and amen. We put our confidence in you today. In Jesus' name. So faithful
told you we'd do something today. Peter sat in prison, but the church was praying earnestly for him. If you'd say, boy, I sure would like the church to pray earnestly for me today. Would you just lift your hand? You know what it is. You need peace. You need something supernatural. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Just lift your hand. I wish the church would pray for me today. If you, if you look around and see somebody with a hand raised, would you just put a hand on their shoulder? Like, you don't, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to play 20 questions. Just, just put a hand on their shoulder. I want them to know the church is praying for them. Okay, right now, would you just begin to pray? Would you just begin to speak out truth? Would you just begin to ask God for his peace in their life? Go ahead. It's okay to open your mouth. It's okay to ask God. It's okay to speak. God, would you bring peace? God, would you bring restoration? God, would you do the miraculous? Lord, would you answer their prayers? Lord, would you help them to trust you during no and wait for your yes? God, to look to you, to put their confidence in you, to put their rest in you. God, to to have their hope in you. Lord, we trust you. We pray today. Lord, you're our confidence. You're our rest. You're our truth. Thank you, Jesus. My confidence is your faithfulness, and I will rest. Come on, declare that in your promises. My confidence, oh, is your faithfulness, and I will rest in your promises. wrestle with no today we believe in a sovereign God and Lord we pray these prayers knowing that you hear us that all your promises are yes and amen thank you God that you answer the prayers we pray and we put our trust in you Lord as we go from here we ask that you'd go with us would you send us out with your special favor your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Can't wait to see how God surprises you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.